Welcome everybody. Summer break is over and we are back again. My name is Alexander Greb. I am the Custom Advisory Lead S4HANA Strategy at SAP and you are of course listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. If you remember episode 39, we featured a very interesting conversation about the specifics of an intelligent enterprise, which is a condition that surely everyone aspires to be. That's of course easily said when you at the same time do not also explain how to get there, which is not only where the experts separate from the rest, but also a topic that is relevant for adopters, SAP folks and partners alike. Because all of us who are in the SAP ecosystem have to pull into the same direction so an adopter is able to put the horsepower of the intelligent enterprise concept to the street. So technology evangelist Timo Elliott and I sat together again to discuss all the things that matter if you either aspire to be an intelligent enterprise or you want your customer to become one. Only here at the SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, Mr. Timo Elliott. Well, thank you. Hello. Great to have you back again. So just tell me first, how was your summer? I had a wonderful summer. It was uh, very virtual. I went to Spain with family, but I took a virtual TV studio with me and I ended up hosting a lot of uh, business events online from my mini studio. It went well. To be honest, I did not expect a different vacation from you <laughs> than <laughs> traveling with a home television studio. I, I, I actually want to be there when you are like in baggage claim at the airport once <laughs> i think it would be impressive it it all fit into one big check on bag check-in bag it worked it worked really well so i would be uh presenting in my shirt and jacket to business analysts um but i'd be wearing shorts that they couldn't see right the, the stereotype That's the way to do it. Exactly. On, <laughs> on webcam and then uh, you know once we were done i was able to head out to the beach into the pool it worked out pretty well the, the advantages of a of a COVID world. I think like since 50 years, most new news anchors have <laughs> some, <laughs> just like a, a shirt there and, and, and their jacket and probably just shorts and it gets, it gets hot under those lights. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you have to be professional. Timo, we want to continue where we basically left in episode 31, where we were talking about the new era of the intelligent enterprise. And in that, we talked about the definition and the capabilities, what an intelligent enterprise is all about and why this is a very desire, desirable characteristic. And because it it's tremendously helps to gain crisis resilience and become one of the winners of the 21st century, which probably in the last 20 years started off quite interesting. But But all of that does not really would be complete if we do not talk about how to actually achieve that goal. Because you do not become an intelligent enterprise if you do not put considerable effort in it. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And it's, and it's not just effort. It's about the right kinds of effort. But 
it, it's all too easy to spend a lot of time thinking about innovation, talking about innovation, imagining innovation. And, you know, we do a lot of that. But innovation is about execution. It's yeah. about the hard work of doing just enough of the right things every day that you actually get your project to completion and live and production. And there's so much innovation that I see, and I'm sure you're the same. We see these great ideas, you see projects and prototypes, but it doesn't get to production. And that means at the end of the day, it's just been a waste of time at one level. It's like like so many people looking at maybe those Instagram influencers being in great shape, like presenting their six pack or like their beach bodies and something like this and say like, oh yeah, maybe I want to be like that. But uh, so, some things are stopping them to become like that. And it is like the same, like with an intelligent enterprise, it's not something like what you can buy. You can buy the tools maybe to become that, like you can buy weights and workout instruments and so on. But in the end, it's up to you. So to maybe start explaining the problem, what from your experiences, and then we can probably mirror to my experience, what are like the common mistakes that you see companies doing like they probably want to become an intelligent enterprise but but they do not really get there so as as an evangelist i spend a lot of time working with organizations on the leading edge of uh, working with new projects and the biggest barriers i see working with it people in particular are uh, well two big things that go wrong and we can go into more detail so one is too much about the technology and not enough uh, focus on getting business momentum behind change. And then the second one, still too much about technology, but specifically not enough thinking about how people are part of your organization's technology. So th those are the two big things I see going wrong. Which, which I would instantly agree to because i see quite often like the mindset like we want to go on to a digital core and so on and we want we, we see like what the future probably expects from us to be but we want to start with something like a lean conversion yeah where you like put everything under a big blanket you see just like an it initiative you like take the old processes over into the new area. I, I talked about this in, in my last episode. I see the big problem always like that. Um, the way people work in their legacy worlds and the legacy system is not determined by the way they want to work, but determined by the limitations of the old technology. So everything what they do is more or less like optimizing themselves around these limitations. So when you then do not afford looking discussion, like starting out from your strategy or from your ideas, you basically take the limitations of the old world into the present and future where these limitations do not exist. I think it's quite obvious that you do not get a digital champion by that. I think that the big problem for IT people in particular is that business is ugly. <laughs> yeah, It's about pragmatically doing just enough to succeed the next level of uh, business. And 
a lot of IT people start from the fact that they want a beautiful IT stack, right? A lovely architecture diagram. I think all of us really want to see that architecture diagram that's nice and yeah. neat. And, and let's face it, it's important to continue to try and work towards that architecture diagram because ultimately it translates into speed of implementation and speed of change and so on. But the reality is we're never going to get there. So the, there's two different ways of thinking about innovation. There's the IT person in terms of, oh, we, we need this beautiful IT infrastructure. Once we get there, then we'll be able to fix the business problems. Then of course, there's the business people who are completely the opposite. They couldn't care less what's under the hood, but they have pragmatic business problems that they need fixing right now. Um, and the solution is in the middle, but that middle is really hard to get both sides on board and lead to effective change. But but don't you see it like it's sometimes a bit tech companies since yeah business does not really often value the beauty of a beautiful architecture but things on on of of business outcome of like KPIs and so on that tech companies too often like retreat and say okay I, I anyway will talk with IT because they are like my my friends my comfort zone they do not ask these nasty questions yeah so i talk to them it's much easier for me but in the end this is one of the big boundaries because you do not talk about the right things you do not get the connect into the the business topic well i mean business people don't know enough about technology and the technology people don't know enough business so how can you make the right steps forward it's it's like like you you're you're in a marriage talking to your wife she says all the time you do not understand me because you talk both talk completely different languages um how do we get this connection how do we get like the business momentum behind the change so first i think it's worth mentioning the difference between a framework that's been around for a long time but it's still mm -hmm. very real this notion of the two different types of cio that there's the instead of a chief information officer as it used to be, it's now turned into two different and separate paths. There are chief infrastructure officers, of officers whose job it is to keep the plumbing running and they're just there to do what the business people tell them. In which case innovation has to come from the business side. And then there's the chief innovation officer and that person is more of a champion and a facilitator of change. And uh, clearly, the world is moving towards innovation officers. There's an absolutely essential role. It doesn't matter wh who it reports to, but it's that person in between the business and the IT that really is helping translate business uh, needs for the future into the technology today and helping make those right trade-offs um, across the business. And just that person's job is, uh, it's a bit like you talked about Instagram. You don't, you know, you want the beautiful abs, yeah it's that person's job to do all of the crunches and the the exercises that you don't see he's the so, personal trainer right yeah i guess so yeah the personal trainer the motive actually that's a great example because the personal mm. trainer it's not there's a little bit of showing you how to do the exercises but an awful lot of it is motivation and yeah. getting people to actually do the exercises every day it's not hard to get beautiful abs you just eat a little less and exercise a little more but you just have to do that every day without fail. Yeah. And that's the part that people find hard. And, and I think I see so many 
parallels between, let's say, individuals and companies in that aspect. Yeah, I see a lot of companies saying like, oh, yeah, we, we understood it. And uh, maybe in March, they said, oh, yeah, now we understood what digitalization is all about because we got heavily hit by the COVID crisis. Yeah, two months later, you talk to them again and, 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 and the momentum is completely gone. Like the air puffed out of the balloon. Yeah, like individuals who say like, okay, this... Sylvester, the next year I will stop like smoking, drinking less beer and so on and so on. And you ask them in February, how are they doing? And yeah, you know what I'm Absolutely. talking about. And, and also I think it's another good example of what happened in that everybody went online, everybody started using virtual tools. We went on Zoom. It was hard, but people adapted. Mm -hmm. But in general, what people did is tried to get as close as possible to the old world using the latest technologies. And now I look at people and say, now, you know this isn't going away for at least six months, so maybe we should adapt the systems and the processes to take advantage of what you can now do. And sometimes they look at me like I have two heads because it means rethinking boundaries and rethinking business processes and who does what and really taking, not just trying to get close to the old way of doing things, mm -hmm. but really taking the best of the new and the best of the old. But it's clear that that's something that somebody actually has to sit down and do and get momentum behind. Talking about the chief innovation officer, would, who probably, I imagine, since he has the same abbreviation, like the chief information officer may already have a quite difficult start in some companies um, to have his own place. Okay, it, it's the same thing. Yeah, At least probably when you say I install a guy like this or a woman doing this job, um, probably this is already the first step, which is good. Yeah, Because in a certain way, at least you, you've done something. But probably again, just by installing a person who, whose job is doing that, I think this still is not enough to do that because he may also be in a quite a weak position if he has to fight something of an organization or, an, or a culture which is not used to do things different. And, and, and so ultimately, I don't think it's really a person. I think it's a function. I think it's something yeah. that every organization has to master. This is the, the big thing that will decide whether companies uh, survive in the future or not. What, the one thing we know about the future is it's going to be different from what we expect today. Mm -hmm. The one skill that organizations need is to be able to adapt fast to changing circumstances. These days, that inevitably means uh, relying on technology and what you can do with technology. So this function has to be core. It's not just like this new person we bring on board. It has to be something that's throughout the entire organization. That's a lot of what we're evangelizing about the notion of intelligent enterprise is an organization that can learn and do things better in the future and adapt quickly to changing circumstances. So, uh, so that's, that's all at a high level, but we should probably just dive down into things that we concretely see going wrong. Does yeah. that sound okay? Absolutely. So first, getting business momentum behind the change. And there's a classic answer to this that's been around for decades now, which mm -hmm. is um, we all know that digital business isn't about technology. It's about customer experience. So if you want mm -hmm. change, do it 
through your customers. I had a boss who told me that uh, money is green and comes from customers. Uh, US money is green. Of course, our money is lots of colors. Uh, but just that to show that if you want momentum behind anything in the business, it has to be about the customer experience, ultimately. Yep. That's the one thing that people will care about. They care about profitability and so on, but those really come from having a successful um, customer experience in the first place. So the classic answer is things like uh, design thinking. Get together your customers, do ideation, um, figure out what people are interested in doing differently, look at the new opportunities, brainstorming. And we've hosted a lot of these workshops and they're still, every time I've talked to a customer who's been through one of these workshops, they always say that it's a really interesting experience. Yeah. Um, mind expanding, extremely useful for their business. Interesting enough, when it goes wrong, it's because they, they can't, take those ideas and and make them real what, what have you seen because i know you've done a lot of this um one interesting feedback i got was of course in the beginning sometimes you have the let's say the customers a bit skeptical because design thinking may sound again a bit buzzy yeah so okay now you try again something like out of the box which which is uh, supposed to solve a lot of solutions in the end all of them are positively surprised one that uh, for him it is something like a corporate um what's the right word for it like a freud couch where you <laughs> lay down Psycho and, psychotherapy session. yeah a bit because then you 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 free your mind you get your feedback you start to like look at elements of your corporate culture of your the way you work the way you do things from in many cases for the first time from different aspects because um you lift your silo yeah you made it full of concrete and you made some like wallpapers in your silo. So you felt really well in within your silo, but so, suddenly you have to step out of it and, and, and look, look at it from a different, different direction. And this is very, very, like you said, mind boggling for a lot of customers because they finally realized that, uh, come on, why, why do we all what we do? What is the reason why we work like that? What's the purpose of all of that? And by this, it really can change something. Of course, this is not like, okay, do this and you're already, you, you got something of an innovation culture just by doing that. But it is something of a first step. If you like use these tools as a, let's say, part of many and, and many um, methods to um, up your game in that area, this is perfectly useful. I mean, it's fun and it's exciting and it's useful, but it also often goes wrong. And, and the part that goes wrong is you get through the design thinking part and the um, if you're doing it right, you're then doing sort of minimum viable uh, prototypes and being very interactive with your customers and testing it out and getting feedback. And you end up with something that you can turn into a project. Um, it's that point that things typically become hard because people realize that in order to do this project, you end up with your existing infrastructure in terms of technology and the data you have available and so on, you realize that you can't really execute on this vision because you then have to go back and fix a whole bunch of your internal systems and collect data in new ways. And that's hard and painful. And that um, 
moving from the prototype phase to the industrialization and the production phase, that's where I find that people have a, a big problem keeping up the momentum. But, but I think this is quite natural. I think when you say like, and sometimes they fail because they realize that there are things missing in their possibilities. I, I, th I see something like this already as not maybe a failure. This is something of a success. If you get the transparency of where you are, something like a cruel mirror in front of you saying like, hey, come on, you always thought you are like this, but in the last year, let's go back to that, let's say, uh, beach shape you want to, you realize that, oh, come on, I'm now over 40. Um, I, I, I had too much beers in the last weeks or like the Corona crisis uh, made me a little bit fluffy in contrast to what I've been before. And already having transparency about that, I think is a, already a progress because then you may have a more open ear and an open eye concerning the discussion when you say, okay, I realize my limitations. So what can I do to get out of that? Well, absolutely. I think you're right. It's, uh, it, it's an opportunity rather than a yeah. problem. You, you see what you need fixing in order to do what you need to uh, improve your customer experience. The problem is that you go from this prototyping phase where it's manageable. You can do it in small groups and you can do it with just the pioneers, the people who are excited yeah. about change. Mm -hmm. But at this point, you get to the integration blueprints and you have to suddenly persuade everybody else that this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And you're running slap bang into the people who have had extremely successful careers by being very conservative yeah. and not changing too many things at the same time. And maybe they're worried about their jobs. Um, You know, it, it's very, if you're in charge of, if you're trying to persuade the person that's in charge of the internal infrastructure that they should go to the cloud, they might be wondering, well, what happens to my job? And yeah, unless absolutely. you've made it very clear that there is a job opportunity for them after this project, they're going to be, do everything they can to kill it consciously or unconsciously. Yeah, sure. um, they're going to come up with very good arguments of why mm. it's not a great idea. So what's key in this, this, this phase is that you really have to work on the business momentum. It's about hearts and minds. It's about marketing. It's about really trying to change the culture of the organization. And again, this is not something technologists tend to get into the technology business because they love technology and tinkering and programming. And I love that as a kid. I was a full on geek. Um, But now, a little bit later, I've realized that it's, it's out of the comfort zone for a lot of organizations in this phase. They go from the technology, exciting prototype. Now there's the hard job of turning it into business reality that requires persuading people. And yeah, it takes a, a different skill set. So at one point, I wonder if you just should, there should be an entirely different team that takes over from that point. Um, I don't think it's a great way of doing this. I think, uh, especially in larger, older organizations, this is in many ways the innovations, uh, Innovators Dilemma book was a, a lot about these kinds of problems. But but what you say concerning it is a different, difficult journey. Yeah, of course, you are like, for example, 
when you're working in plan, you do not even have to have something like a management position. Like look at the people who execute things, like who are planners, who are like in a workshop where they are shown like new software. And so I always realize that like when you make it the stupid way, just, just show demos. Yeah. Just like I show you the software with no context, like to their business and to their situation and so on. You really can scare people off because what they are doing is like, they are always thinking about, okay, what does he do? He has their, this is now fury. Probably this is now something modern. Uh, I do in my old Dunpro, I have there a button. I do not see the button here. Is this something now where this kind of uh, function is missing and so on? They get nervous by that. They get damn nervous. And I think what that's the one part, like the customer, of course, has to adopt a certain innovation culture. But we as a tech company and as a tech industry, we also have to adopt this kind of understanding for our customers. That is, this is a difficult journey because in so many cases, you know, we are like those kind of coaches, like who are standing on a stage and like this chaka guys and so on turning on i got the power to motivate people and so on and and by giving him the impression but just just by being motivated you do can do everything maybe there's a little bit more behind that and i think that's where both parties like customers and tech industry can help themselves each other if they are um like what you said it's about business about people have more understanding for the situation are more clear about it's not about like just implementing an architecture and then you're a completely different company with a different culture no it's not like that but we have the understanding for each other that we have to take each i use now this nice wording each other's hands and do this path together absolutely uh, and just moving to some concrete tips things that i've seen go right one is um, you, if you're leading innovation projects, you should never have an opinion. You should only <laughs> ever be funneling the opinion of customers and yeah. other people that pay your company money. Mm -hmm. um, you are the representative of this ideal experience. So, because it's very easy for anybody internally to go, well, you know, who are you? I don't care what you think. Yeah. So only customers have opinions and you're just, they're expressing their opinion through you. Um, two, the business case. The business case is really, really hard in technology because time and time again, you're talking about things you don't know how to do and you don't know what the result will be. You hope that it's going to improve your competitiveness. But any number that you try and assign to that is going to be a bit made up. Now, it's worth doing the exercise. And we have whole teams of people, the Vanua engineering team at SAP do a fantastic job of helping organizations think through, you know, well, if you implement this technology, how might this percentage improve? And might, what might that do to your bottom line? And it's important to go through that exercise in order to get an idea of what is possible. But the reality is it's a leap of faith. So what is it that helps with that leap of faith? So things like, so data is, I find this fascinating. Data is important, but senior executives don't really uh, believe business cases. Yeah. I, one of my bosses told me that, so what's the number one thing you should ask your boss if he says that he wants a business case? What do you Tell think me. the answer is? Tell me. The one question is, do you want a high number or do you want a low number? 
Yeah, so basically, how, how much do you want to be fooled by me? So business cases ultimately are something that are used to justify what people already wanted to do or yep. to kill things they don't want to do. Exactly. It's very rare that it's this yep. neutral thing mm -hmm. that is actually decided, used to decide whether a project is, is the right thing to do or not. But what, what I experienced, what, what helps in that area, um, of course, if you start something like a discussion like this on a technical basis, if you see this as an infrastructure thing, as an architecture thing, as like, let's say, application names, you are always in a certain, let's say your discussion has a, has a cost case wipe. And of course, then if you have a cost case wipe, uh, people want to have something of a um, business case because they want to really know in their cost case how things are changing if you manage to talk more about the business momentum or about the business outcome the whole atmosphere of that discussion is changing you are now talking not about a cost case but about a strategic case the big for you as a tech company who wants to sell things the big advantage of course is that these are different budget buckets they are not even they're, they're not only fuller but in my experience they open up easier because you do not have this let's say cost case minded discussion but a different one you you talk more about the outcome you talk more about the the value out of it than of let's say certain cost percentages yeah it's it's much Absolutely. easier to have a discussion in that way Absolutely. And I love the word strategic because yeah. when you think about it, people say strategic choice. This is a strategic choice. What that really means is that it can't be justified by easy numbers. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because if it, if, it, if it can easily be justified by an IRI case, mm -hmm. it's just something you do. You don't call it strategic. Strategic, by definition, holds out this possibility that it might not be the right <laughs> choice. Um, so yes, you absolutely, a lot of innovation is strategic, which means it's it's a leap of faith. So other things... strategic, you can stop discussion by saying like, uh, do not question it, it's strategic. Yeah. Exactly. But at the end of the day, that's that's what CEO, CEOs, CIOs do. They make this, they are paid yeah. to make decisions in the absence of certainty. Yeah. That is their job, essentially. So you're just trying to help them make the right choices from your point of view and the customer's point of view. Um, things that I see people doing wrong, they, they don't realize that it's about that person's career. Mm -hmm. So uh, you want, this person is thinking of it consciously again or unconsciously of the rare career point of view. So yeah. they might well be thinking, this is too risky. I might lose my job, ruin my career. Or they might be thinking, wow, what a fantastic opportunity for me to get the next big job opportunity. You really want them to be thinking about it as the latter. So mm -hmm. don't hesitate to focus parts of your innovation strategy on making that person a hero. It, it, for me, it's win-win. If they're a hero and it works and the company's a hero, everybody's, everybody's well off. Yeah. It's just sometimes people think of it taking out the human and they don't realize that there's this real human incentive at the heart of it. Other big way of doing it, <laughs> it's classic, is tell them that the competition is doing it. I have never seen more investment unleashed faster than when a, an article came out saying the, the company's biggest, uh, biggest competitor has just launched this very successful initiative that customers love, right? Uh, another tip is uh, make sure that you have lots of like a broad consensus behind it. Sometimes yeah. we talk about the importance of executive sponsors. 
very important. But guess what? Those people get fired or they move a lot. So I've seen lots of projects that get to a certain point and then that executive goes and boom, there's nobody else behind that project. So it goes away. So you really need a broad support across the organization. Successor kills the project because he is supposed and expected to do things different. Exactly. Big problem. Yeah. Exactly. So, and that happens a lot. So make sure that there's broad uh, consensus behind it. Um, kind of stupid tip, but make sure that you have a project name that is really strongly identified with the project. Why? It's because when the successor comes along, you can kill that project and then relaunch it under a different name. And now it's okay because it's, it's a different project. That's a good it... one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Really cynical, but you know, um, then, uh, I mean, a big part of it is creating uh, connections across the organization because really any interesting innovation means breaking down silos across the way your organization works today. So you really, again, that's building human connections. Again, a very, a very different skill set from uh, anything to do with the, the technology and the integration roadmaps and everything. These are people integration roadmaps, if you like, the, persuading people that they might have to like, move headcount from department to another. Again, so often I don't see people really grappling with that kind of, uh, everybody instinctively realizes that that's so much harder than changing the technology. Yeah. Very concrete example. We're here at home. I'm in my attic. Uh, you're in your, your home with a beautiful bookcase behind you. Um, we're doing everything over Zoom. We have lots of salespeople who are thinking about how they're going to help their customers buy the right products by the end of the year mm -hmm. and fulfill their quota. Um, they're having to work through Zoom. They have a certain way of working. But in a Zoom environment, you should really rethink things. Right? There are a lot of SAP experts, for example. Mm -hmm. Before, they could maybe do two sales calls a day. Now, they could probably do 10 times that because mm -hmm. everybody's home. You could do it over Zoom. There's no transport or travel time. So you should probably be using experts in a new way as part of the sales process. But that's, you know, that, that requires rethinking where resources are used in the process and not necessarily reporting up to the same people. And yeah. it's a classic example of something that people don't instinctively change. Again, people are trying to stick to as close to the old questions. People tend to use the new technology to, to improve the old system rather than rethinking how they do things. It's a classic. How do you think about, ask like two persons about this and you may get completely different opinions, executive sponsorship. Some people think this is the absolute thing that you need because without the, let's say, the name above it who says like, this is good. Yeah, you cannot start anyway. Other people say like, with that you get political. What's your opinion I mean, about? You have to get political. If you're not yeah. like, innovation that doesn't involve yeah, politics, that's mm -hmm. like, that's not innovation. That's tinkering mm -hmm. with your internal infrastructure. I mean, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's all about. If somebody says something along the lines of politics, that gives mm -hmm. me an indication that they're thinking about this completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Politics yeah. is the point. If you see what I mean, it, it, it's it's. Uh, If you think politics is a problem, then you really have to adjust your mindset because that's the job. Mm -hmm. That's the job of innovation is, that's the hard part, the, the interesting part, the, the part that stops your competition from doing things right and you have a chance to, to do right. So it is basically the fuel 
which pulls this forward because without the politics in it, it would not become something of an achievable goal for your organization. And, and, and absolutely, and politics is a good way of thinking about it because, so we talked about the importance of data and business cases, but the reality is that a lot of us are anecdote driven. If you mm -hmm. have the perfect anecdote from a customer who's, who says, oh, wow, this is exactly what I need from you. And that ideally you get the customer to say that to your chief executive that is going to count for an awful lot more than some internal business case, <laughs> right? So individuals and stories, these are the things that politicians use a lot, right? They mm -hmm. find those, those trigger points, those pain points, and, yeah. and really work on... And what, what gets your blood boiling in the end. Right. And, and, but you can use that for good as well. Mm -hmm. and say it's often it's used for bad things, you know, demagoguery and so on. But you yeah. can use those same techniques um, to, to make things better. But which again, like what you're doing at the moment is you're strongly underlining the thesis that people buy from people, even in that area. Yeah, you cannot buy from machines or machines will not buy from machines in that area. This is done by people. Well, and then let's go on to the second big point. So that was that first big point, I think, was all around getting business mm -hmm. momentum behind change and that we could go on for hours. But the second point is... Um, too much time on the technology and not enough on people. People as technology, the way I try and explain it to IT people is people are undoubtedly most powerful technology in the organization today. People mm -hmm. are the only technology that can look at a situation and really understand the context of what's going on, of what needs to be fixed, what can be improved, can, can suggest new ways of working. Um, so, Yes, of course, technology is a big opportunity, but implementing that technology in the right way in the right time, getting the prioritizations right, that's all about people. And too often as technologists, we tend to think of people as external to our IT system. But that's not true at all. People are inside the system. Every time that people touch on information, they add value to it by choosing what to look at, what not look to, to look at, choosing what to act on, what not to act on. And so we have to, if you really want to think of it as an architecture diagram, that people need to be inside of it. Yeah. And you need to optimize the use of that technology. So how do you optimize the use of quote unquote people technology? Well, A, you have to make sure that's working properly. So training and skills, again, We've known this for decades, but we don't invest enough in training and skills. There's a project budget and there's an initial training budget and then it goes away. And then people learn from somebody else in the office and you find that slowly over time, people are just using the system suboptimally. Secondly, how do you get this people technology to do the right thing? Well, you have to plug them in. You have to be giving them the right incentives. Mm -hmm. Again, time and time again, we try and implement technology faced with people who are going to lose through the implementation of that technology. Now, there's some ways of like the US culture is tend to be you just fire everybody who's in the way. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not necessarily an opt it doesn't necessarily work either because you lose a lot of the expertise that you would like to be able to use to make sure that your new system is better. So the, the classic is Somebody has been working behind the scenes to make sure that the company keeps working despite suboptimal technology, right? They, they've been moving data around manually. They've been connecting things. Um, somebody comes along and says, hey, we're going to automate your, your job out of existence. Bye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
And so they try and implement the project, but they don't have the deep expertise of this person who has been making yeah. that connection between the, the technology and the people who really need to use that data to improve the business. All of that knowledge is gone. And if that person is still in place, they're often against the project yeah. because they don't have any. So the technology should, they should be given the job of helping sh make sure that that project is successful and rewarded with a better, more interesting job, however they define that. That's the recipe for success, is, is treating people right and making sure that they're rewarded for change rather than being afraid of for their jobs. What you're at the moment pointing at is what, what I always try to, to provoke a bit by saying digitalization is all about unartificial intelligence. Yes, there you go. Yeah, because I always see like we do it, our competitors do it and so on. And try to foster that kind of digitalization by, because we are like tech companies, software companies, by offering the customer additional software that helps him getting a, the right approach to digitalization, like tools and services where um, their potential, let's say, benefits is calculated in a report and yes they can help they can give transparency but again there's a backside to it you can again in something of a let's say laziness rely on it too much in that way that you think ah this tool is doing the job for me uh, why it's still you have to know what you want you have to define the strategy you have to give the direction the tool is just giving you let's say a direction or let's say supports or gives you or corrects your direction by telling you okay look at this is this is attention support but you should not rely purely on it because your own brain your imagination is still needed a lot for that absolutely the future of digital is analog <laughs> yeah. our, our own brains are still thank heavens always going to be the most important uh, thing behind uh, business especially in an era of artificial intelligence because all of these trends of relying too much on technology and not realizing that people ultimately uh, are in charge of of making the right choices leads to some horrible disasters recently um we could go on for hours about that but just People have to be in charge of technology. People are flawed. Yeah. <laughs> the pro it, I find it fascinating because the problem of innovation is people. Mm -hmm. The solution, though, is also people. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but at the end of the day, it means spending more time on people. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the end, they're buying it. They're, they're the purpose we're doing all of that. They're, they're the result. They're the reason. Um, talking about when you said the innovation culture is something which may be one of the keys to get the right approach, like the same, like I have to change my habits and my routines with taking more care of my nutrition or what I, what I do exercise and so on to get myself into better shape. A company can do this by fostering innovation culture. How do I get that? So, I mean, for me, culture ultimately is about two things. Community, which basically means people. Yeah. People want to do things with other people. So building, uh, so connecting the pioneers, the people who want change, and getting them to persuade other people 
about that change? I mean, ultimately, you have to think about it from people's point of view. So why are they going to get involved in this? What are the incentives? Why is it good for them? Again, why is it good for their career to be able to do this in a new way? Um, you can also do it through threats, and some people do, right? You change yeah. or else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes with some considerable downsides, but it's probably an element with some people. Um, so it's, it's a human driven process that you've got to persuade people that they want to be part of that, that gang, that culture, that community. And, um, and yeah, in, incentives, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of research about how do you get to stop smoking and things. And mm-hmm. the best way of stopping smoking is to uh, tell everybody, you know, uh, very loudly that you're, you're stopping smoking. Uh, plus, there's some really there's an interesting uh, service where you can go. It's a website, uh, genius idea. You go and you say, okay, if I don't stop smoking by this certain date, um, you put a hundred euros in escrow, and they will mm-hmm. give it to the worst possible group, the whatever group that you most detest, whichever political party you hate. <laughs> They will give that as a donation to that oh, organization. That is awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so as you get closer and closer to that date, you've given that, yourself a really strong incentive to stay on and do that. That would thing. have helped me big time when I was trying to stop smoking like seven years ago. I did that. It wasn't my first try. But um, like you said, my in the end, my the way I did it was having something a combination like at first um yes i was cared of course a certain way it's not because of the money and so on um, of course it's expensive and i think now it's even much more expensive but 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 when when you're smoking you, you have that money yeah you 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 have you do find ways to justify that um at that point of course there was something like a certain negative motivation by a certain scare like you have for example when you do not change your culture when you do not implement these kinds of capabilities and so on the next crisis will kill you as a company i was the same as a smoker i said like hey come on and that at that time i was in my mid-30s i once heard a doctor telling me like um if you are like stopping until the mid of the 30s the chances are big that in the end of your life like or when you get older things are perfectly fine again but if you like do it for too long there's something like a point of no return that was my scare and the other case of course like you said i told everybody like i i'm going to stop now and it was like of course you had one day later like this urge to get some cigarettes again it's like like Damn, why did I tell everybody that? Yeah, because I did not want to stand there um, as something. But of course, it, it's a mixture of motivations. And a friend of mine, he's responsible in his company for fostering this innovation culture. And his wife, um, she's working in the kindergarten. And he said, like, in the evening when they are sitting together at lunch, uh, at, at dinner, and they're talking about their job today, they, they, their topics are not very much different. In a certain way, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Getting people to buy in. And we, and we missed a big one on the momentum, which is never let a good crisis go to waste. If yeah, business sure. is going great, it's really hard to persuade people to do things differently. Um, it's reality is that sometimes it does take a crisis in order to, to facilitate change. So 
it doesn't matter what the crisis is, it's always a good excuse. Whatever's happening in the world, just use mm-hmm. it as an excuse for why you should do the right thing. <laughs> you, you know that that saying experience is when you recognize uh, past mistakes. And like the crisis we have or are going through it now, um, I still remember the 2008 financial crisis. And of course, you cannot really compare that a lot, but still... In both kinds of crises, you, if you had certain capabilities as a companies, you were better off than others. So if you did not make this learning curve after 2008 and you're still missing these necessary capabilities now, then sorry, that's your own fault. And absolutely. And, I, and the one thing I got to say is that I see going wrong again and again is just if you want to do these things, it's about marketing, it's about politics, about hearts and minds, about culture change, hire people who know how to do that and want to do that. All too often, because it's part of the technology or the IT department, mm-hmm. you see all these people trying to do things that just is not in their, their skill set by default. So it's good that they're trying, but why have them, you know, rather than that, just, just go to people who actually do this for a living. It's a bit like saying, you know, I don't know, I, I need to fix my car, so I'm going to learn how to be a car mechanic. Mm-hmm. Like, just no, just give it. Well, plumbing, plumbing is the classic, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, I can try and fix my own plumbing. You can, but it's probably not going to work very well. Just go and get the professionals. And, um, and I, but I know that people find it really hard to get budget for the the soft stuff, the human mm-hmm. stuff. People go, oh, well, we don't need that. We, no, all that money for what? All that money is there to make you successful. People need to spend less money on the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you should all spend it with SAP, but, but in general, <laughs> of course, <laughs> deliberately, I mean, time and time again, the, the, there's a budget put aside for innovation and way too much of that budget goes on the uh, on the. The, the technology itself and not enough on the successfully implementing it. If you successfully implement it the first time, you'll get a lot more money to do more in innovation in the future. But time and time again, we know that the um, businesses are fascinating numbers. But businesses know that IT is absolutely essential for the future of their business while having a relatively low opinion of whether IT can help them deliver technology that helps the business. So that there's definitely a, uh, a cultural mismatch there. It's what you said quite fitting with um, what, what I always, always experience when you are talking about technology in that way that customers say like, okay, I have this kind of problem. Um, is there a technology for that or vice versa that technology is bored for technology's sake? And if you consider it to be like a medicine, for something you're then in a situation where I said like great I bought a quite good medicine let's let's get the fitting disease for that yeah certainly this doesn't really work out but um, when you are telling that for example technology possibilities that aren't necessarily realities um, how do you get that mind turned that you really focus first on if we talk like that in that pharmaceutical example about business and disease, how, how do you start to talk and think about more of the diseases than too much about the medicine at first? 
I mean, again, are you really trying to, you're trying to push, push a rope, as they sometimes say, or, um, yeah. or pour water uphill? Um, maybe you're just the wrong person in the wrong place if this is a problem. <laughs> or you're not thinking about, let's say, the customer focus enough? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, again, going back to focusing on what's important and, uh, and persuading people is uh, is the key absolutely um when we talk about ideas let's let's say implementable ideas that fit the company's strategy um do you think that the ideas are not enough there on customer side Or is it just of something they would be there, but probably they are not something implemented enough because let's say um, there is something of a failure culture missing and so on? Well, I think one of the big problems in the technology industry in general is that uh, we're used to people promising the moon. Um, new technology does everything. You can do these fantastic things. But anybody who's been in the IT industry for a few decades has heard this thousands of times. And we know that there's a gap between the rhetoric and the demos and what is possible with what you can actually implement. So people tend to be a little bit cynical. And the reality is that for most organizations, nothing is real unless one other company has already done it. <laughs> there's the pioneers who are ready to go and try stuff, even if it hasn't been proven. They're mm -hmm. relatively far and few between. But the most organizations, This is why I'm an evangelist and not a futurist. For mm -hmm. me, the futurists are really important. They're talking about yeah. you know, the business equivalent of climate change and how you need to get ready for it. I'm talking about how you, can, how you should take an umbrella for the rain that's going to be happening tomorrow. People, people want to learn the lessons. They want to see something's real before they can invest in it. So business people are the same. So again, this is an important part of getting business momentum. You have to be able to show that this is real somewhere that somebody else is doing because most people are not willing to be the, uh, the, the first at trying something new. So does this mean that you really can help this kind of discussion by keeping something of a balance between the more futuristic stuff and the more evangelistic stuff if we would say the one thing is more the, the vision in a certain way and the other thing is the more let's say tangible innovation you need you need both so first you want a view of utopia the city on the hill this is where we could get to yeah. one day uh, Ronald again, Reagan. A, yes there you go from a customer's <laughs> from a customer's point of view and he was really good at that i mean absolutely did a lot of other things wrong, but he was really good at painting this vision yeah. of uh, mourning in America. This, again, politics, right? Yeah, sure. He was able to portray and give people a feeling that, yes, things are getting better and we can get there. So you need that vision, but then you also, then you say, but the first step is this little step here mm -hmm. <laughs> that we know is possible because these people have already done it. Um, yeah. And then once you've got that step, then you go to the second step. So it's about the... Put, communicating at those two levels um, but both of them it's about the story uh, and the anecdotes and from customers and having people buy into it because they believe it's the right step for them individually not just for the company so we should not talk just about let's say the individual configuratable 
sneakers all the time. Yeah, but also about, let's say, how can a planner or a seller and so on do his work better by the help of technology. Yeah, and putting this into context and having this as a certain balance, you know, like, okay, this is my vision. This is something which will be my day-to-day -day business in three to five years. But tomorrow I can expect that. Yeah, and this is the, the tricky part, right? Is people don't, especially business people who, who they're not, people in general don't know they know they want something until they've already experienced it. A new way of working, it, it's only afterwards that the benefits become obvious. Again, this makes it hard to put together the ROI case. A classic is, uh, I've obviously been involved a lot with SAP HANA over many years. Mm. One of the standard questions I ask IT people is, A, how hard was it to create the business case? And they say, oh God, it took forever. You know, it took months and we finally got agreement and it was mostly based on some cost savings in terms of licenses that we gave back or some other database and things like that. So they have this sort of very limited business case and they finally get to introduce SAP HANA. Then they put it in and then I ask them, well, so imagine now, now that you've implemented it a few months later, um, it, what would happen if you tried to go back to the old system? And they immediately go, oh my God, we get killed by the business yeah. people because yeah. you know now everything's so faster and more flexible. Mm -hmm. And so the killer question, if your business people were able, if they knew what it was going to be like, would that have made the original business case much easier? And would they have approved the software much earlier? And the answer is always, well, yes, but they didn't know what they didn't know. And this is a fundamental problem again in in technology in general. Is it's only afterwards that all of the uh, many of the the ROI becomes obvious rather than before. So you have to. How do you get around that? Well, you go and talk to the people that implemented Hana, who are willing to say, "Oh my God, this is wonderful! I wish we had built this into our business case." And you take those people to talk to the people who are still hesitating. Yeah, but but you know, I talked about SAP Hana as an example, but that's true of any kind of innovation. And you know that um, innovation sometimes comes from very easy triggers. Like one of my favorite stories is the the birth of the digital boardroom. Mm -hmm. When Hasso said um, in one of his um, board meetings, "Like, come on, stop! Why do you show me slides? I do not want to see any slides. We have Hana." You can show this live on, 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 from, from scratch. You can do this right immediately. That's how the digital boardroom started by, let's say, like, yeah, right. We do not want to have this kind of, let's say, reporting to our board members, but we want to give them the experience to like experience themselves and see themselves how the reality looks like. And again, this is business. Yeah, technology enables it, but finally, It's all about business. And if if I would like say what what the, the conversation with you was all was all about for the last hour, um, probably the big sentence would be like, it's all about people, stupid. Absolutely. It's all about people. Do you sometimes as a last question um get raised airbrows? as a technology evangelist talking so much about people and business? <laughs> <laughs> no raised eyebrows, but I do. So, ah, I, so I do these big presentations and I'm talking about the future and 
I always include a section on how important the human side of things is. But I'll be honest with you, I know it's not the part of the presentation Mm -hmm. that people are most interested in. You can see that people are like, oh, that looks really interesting. In general, I talk about innovation. I talk about digital transformation. Mm -hmm. I can see the audience and I'm giving all these examples, you know, anecdotes. Here's how organizations have gone ahead of you so you don't have to worry about it. It's not risky. And I see these people nodding and go, oh, that looks fascinating, really interesting. I wish somebody in my organization would go and do that. Yeah. That, I mean, for me, that's, that's like, and it's the same with these, these human side of things. It's like, yes, that's a good idea. Somebody else will do that. Um, so a big part of innovation is really taking, is people taking responsibility for their role in not just being a cog, but actually leading change and explaining uh, the bigger picture behind change. So I take with me that we should write into our books, we as a tech company and our customers at what kind ever industries they are see innovation and and see all we're all we've been talking about as people stuff well ultimately i think this is what's fascinating for uh, for the technology industry is every industry we talk about people are moving from selling products to selling mm-hmm. services from moving from selling things to being more success oriented Mm-hmm. Same is absolutely true of vendors like SAP. Absolutely. We're not in the business of technology. Ultimately, we're in the business of business innovation. So our job is to not just provide the technology people need to change their business, but ultimately help them in every other aspect of that business change. Now, there's limits, obviously, to what we can do. But, uh, you know, and this is, there's a reason that companies like Bain and McKinsey exist for high-level business strategy. That's not something that we're going to be doing. But to the extent that we can help our companies, our customers with, sorry, S4HANA, great technology, but we can't just say, here's some technology, go ahead and implement it. Customers obviously need a lot more help and guidance because they want to be successful in using that new platform in these new ways. It's why we spent so much time on design thinking, iteration, ways of prototyping. It was why we spent so much time on uh, the user interfaces because we knew that people using the software is very important. Thankfully, moving to cloud has been really important and useful from my point of view because moving to a payment system where you only pay on what you've deployed and are successfully using is wonderful because it puts a, the incentive structure in place to make sure that people haven't just bought software, but they're actually using software. So making sure that there's a training that uh, we've helped people with integration blueprints that it actually fits with all of their non-SAP systems and everything else that's going on. Um, yeah. I can't remember where I was going, but yes. <laughs> yes, so yeah, SAP, our job is to help customers be successful. And that's way more than just providing them with technology. So there's lots of transformation ahead of us, not only, let's say, as a application consumer, but also as an application vendor. We're in the business of business, business innovation. Perfect. Normally, you know, my, my last question is always like, where can people follow you? I will not ask you this question for two reasons, because first, I already did in the last episode and you are omnipresent anyway, 
I think even on, on TikTok. So <laughs> that's why I will ask you not about where people can follow you because they probably already do. So I will ask you like when people want to listen to you. You have lots of probably the next week's big conferences and so on where people can listen to you. Like where should they attend? Where should they log in into? Uh, so I try and use uh, timoelliot.com as a, as a point where I put a lot of the things that I'm doing. I'm a little bit behind, but that's always a good place to go and get anything um, material if you're interested in what I'm doing. But I'm, let me turn it around, I'm actually much more interested in hearing feedback from people. So if anybody has any opinions on anything we just talked about, please uh, let me know, let us know, because... Our job is to help more people be successful. So if you think that you've got information that could help us do that in any way, I'd love to hear more. Definitely. Give us experience data. Thank you very much. Timo, have a great day. You too. Great to have you. Real pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.